Alrighty, shalom and welcome to uh, com and also the uh, weekly Torah portion Roku channel as well. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with each and every single one of you again here this week. And uh, we got two parshiot this week as a matter of fact. We have Parshish uh, Tazria and also Metzora. And uh, many of you might be realizing that, uh, you know, some of the ones, the teachings from last year, uh, all the different teachers that we have on the Roku channel and all that stuff, you see that they're kind of separated uh, with uh, Tazria and Metzora. It's because last year we were on a leap year. Okay? So we had an extra month, which is Adar 2, which caused there, I think we only had like one double Parshas the entire year. And this year we'll actually have a couple of because... We are back to the 12-month cycle, 30 days for each month. And last year, we had the leap year, which added an extra 30 days. Okay? So this is the reason in that, for those of you who are probably new, and you're wondering why that is the case. Okay? So there you go. Now now it is that you know. This week's Parshas, we got a lot of stuff to get to here. And I'm going to try and not cover... Uh, the same stuff that I did last year. We're gonna hint upon it though for those of you who, um, you know, want a little bit more further explanation of things like Negesorot and things like that. We're gonna be spending a lot of time in Negesorot. But one of the things that I failed to bring up last year and also previous years as well is the tie between the beginning of the Parshas where it speaks about the laws of Nidah. And how, why it is that this is in Parshish, um, taz, Tazria, and how it relates to that of Negesorot, um, and Metzora. How it is that it relates to these concepts. Because it seems like this part over here the, at the beginning is, it doesn't really go along with the rest of the Parshish. But actually there's a reason why it is that it's connected. And it's, it's, it's a premise that ties in with Negesorot, and we're going to be reading a lot of things that our Melech Mashiach Yeshua said in terms of the processes between that of the Yetzahar, the Yetzotov, Negesorot, and so on and so forth. And we'll see how that it relates. But the beginning of the Parshas, which is in the book of Aikra, or Leviticus, chapter 12, starting at verse 1, we see that we're given the laws of Nidah. And it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, When a, when a woman conceives and gives birth to a male, she shall, she shall be contaminated for a seven-day period, as during the days of her separation. Infirmity shall she be contaminated. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. For, thir- for thirty-three days, she shall remain in blood of purity. She may not touch anything sacred, and she may not enter into the sanctuary until the completion of her days of purity. Now, the sages say this in terms of verse 4. They say seven days after giving birth to a boy, the mother immerses herself to remove the nidah, the contamination, 
following which she assures um, a new status for the next 33 days. She remains in a partial state of contamination until she brings her offering at the end of that of the 30 day, uh, 33 day period. Okay? But it's going on in verse 5, it says, if she gives birth to a female, she shall be contaminated for two weeks. As during her separation of 66 days, she shall remain in blood of purity. Until the completion of the days of her purity of a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a sheep within the first year of a burnt offering and a young dove and a turtle dove for a sin offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting to the Chohen. What is the reason for this? Is it strictly because of purification? That has a great deal to do with it as well. It has a great deal to do with it. It has a great deal to do with, with purification. But also, the very first mitzvah in the Torah is a positive mitzvah. And the mitzvah is to be fruitful and to multiply. And this is something that uh, in Jewish culture, depending upon how many children do you have, basically uh, tells the people where it is that you, that you are in your walk. Because of the fact that if you have many children, then it means that shalom ba'is is abundant in your home. Especially when the children grow up and they, and they honor their parents and all that stuff. It all has to do with the values that you have instilled within that of your children. And we see today in today's culture that, you know, this is an idea that is lost in society. We see children, you know, you know, in their young teens getting involved in drugs, having a premarital sex, and just, you know, doing all of these things that wasn't necessarily the case during this time. Some people would say, oh, well, it was around, you just didn't know about it. No, the statistics actually prove that, you know, uh, that uh, kids that are addicted to drugs are on the rise, teenage pregnancy is on the rise, and, you know, all of these other things. And the fact is that it's also a positive mitzvah. We have to understand this. It's a positive mitzvah for the parents to be involved in their children's life and to raise them. In today's society, it seems that many people see their children, unfortunately, as that of a burden upon that of their life. You would not, you know, I mean, just think about all the times that you go to the grocery store. And a children and a child goes and does what children do. You know, they cry, they want this, they want that, they they do all of all of these things. And the parents, you know, first of all, they usually plop their children in front of a TV and let the television go and raise their children. But they also get mad at them for being children. You know, now however, bad behavior, first of all, should not be tolerated. But look at the way that a lot of these parents could treat their children. I saw a video just the other day, as a matter of fact, that somebody had sent me in a text message where you had this father. This His child was running around in a convenience store, and he goes and he goes and actually slaps the child to where the child falls down on the floor, slaps him as hard as he can in the face. And we're not shocked by this anymore. We're not shocked by this. And it's so sad that this is the way that society has gone and taken the Torah and has really gone and done the antithesis of this whole thing. But we see that there's this time of separation as well. That she is not allowed within that 
of the Mishkan, of that of the later on in the Bayis Hag, Hag Mikdash. And this is a, um, this is actually something that is not practiced in the quote unquote Torah observant community in Messianic Judaism, unfortunately. This is something that we stressed big, uh, uh, a great deal on in terms of Kehillat Melech Mashiach. We didn't allow a person who uh, had just had a child, as a matter of fact, even the father, because of the fact of the laws of Nidah, and also that it's the father's job as well to maintain Shalom Ba'is and to be a servant unto his wife during this time, during her times of contamination. Now, some people say, in terms of contamination, well, you know what? I'm not going to put my wife outside, you know, because in, in other passages in the Torah, it makes, make, makes note that, but we got to go back and look at what is actually being said, because during that time, you had basically these big one-room houses, okay? And there was, you know, a, a risk of, first of all, there being intercourse during the times of Nidab, during the times of her contamination when she was on her period and so on and so forth, which is forbidden within Torah. Okay? So, basically, it wasn't literally put her outside, but rather, don't be around her during this time. Okay? And this, and the reason why this is, is because this is a part of what is called mishpatim law, which is social law, that kind of gauges the way that we respond in certain things. You know, for instance, you know, you see all throughout the Torah, you know, if a person does this, then you stone them. You stone them till they're dead. Is Hashem saying to actually go and stone them? Yeshua said in the uh, in the book of Mark, he goes and he says, you know, you, you know, first of all, you say I, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I say that you go and turn your other cheek, and this has to do with the laws of Mishpatim law that are found without throughout that of the Torah. And so this is why stoning was never initiated in that of Jewish law, is because of the fact that there was such an emphasis put upon human life. And this emphasis is found within these passages. And the thing is that you're supposed to be able to shema, to hear, do, connect the pieces of what it is that Hashem is telling us. we got to stop thinking of these things in a very linear Greek mindset here. So therefore, if your wife has just had a child or if she is on her period, what is it that you do? Do you put her outside? That is not what the Torah is saying. Instead, what you do is you go sleep on the couch, you allow her to be comfortable. Never once in Judaism do we ever see a man going and throwing his wife outside and saying, hey, you sleep out here. Basically, it's saying to, to not be around her at that time to at a, at a point to where it is that you or she will be tempted with that of intercourse during that time. Okay? <coughs> so this entire thing of separation... It's something that we end up seeing <coughs> in the basic laws of Zorot. 
starting in chapter 13, where it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu and to Aharon, saying, If a person uh, will have on the skin of his flesh a cis, a, a, a safras, or a bahares, it will become zorot. It will become an affliction on the skin of the flesh. And he shall be brought to Aharon, the Kohen, and to the sons of the Kohenim. Many of your translations will say leprosy. Leprosy is not the best translation, and it gives us a perception of something that is actually, it's not what it's talking about here. Now the sages say here, in terms of verse 2, they say that the popular translation of Zorot has been leprosy. Okay, they're getting into this. And they say, and it is commonly accepted that the prevention of the disease spread was the reason for the quarantine of a person smitten with the malady. However, Rabbi Hirsch demonstrates at length that, um, these, no, uh, that these notions are completely erroneous. Zorot is the physical manifestation of a spiritual malice. This is the key that we're going to focus in on here. The primary cause of Zorot is the sin of slander. Similarly, it is the punishment of the sin of bloodshed, false oath, sexual immorality, pride, robbery, and selfishness, as we see in in Achrim 16a of the Medrash. Thus, Zorot is divine retribution for the offender's failure to feel the needs and to share the uh, hurt of others. God isolates him from society so he can experience the pain that he has imposed upon others and heal himself through that of repentance. We translate the Hebrew since there is no accurate uh, translation of either the word Zorot or its subdivision of the forms of Zorot mentioned here are white patches of skin. That is the footnote for that of the stone edition Tanakh. And they do a good thing here in saying, okay, you know, Zorot is going to remain untranslated. Because of the fact that, again, leprosy, we, we just see a physical condition when we see leprosy in the English. Okay, you cannot rely on your English. This is the reason why the English is referred to as Chomish. Many people say, okay, Chomish, you know, is just, you know, the, the, the five books of the Torah with the Haftarah, that, that's, that's, that's Chomish. And that's one side of it. Yes, if you go and you pick up a Chomish, that's what you're gonna get. But it also means one-fifth, meaning that you are only getting one-fifth of the meaning from that of the English side of the page. That's all that you're getting. You're only getting one-fifth of what is actually there. So when we see leprosy, we're thinking to ourselves, you know, something from that uh, from that television show with the zombies walking around. You know, I, I forget the name of it. I'm not into zombies or horror movies or anything like that. But, you know, it's a very popular television show, The Walking Dead. That's what it's called. And we see, we have this idea of these people with body parts falling off of themselves. It's just something that's, well, really gross. We don't know why it is that they were afflicted with this. We just kind of say to ourselves, well, you know, this is, a, this is a guy that got into something pretty nasty. And he's got fingers falling off and all this other stuff. And so that's our, what our perception is of leprosy. What our perception is when we go through the Torah, when we go through Leviticus, and we see 
Zorot. This is what it is that we end up thinking. But then again, think to yourself in these ways. You know, a lot of you probably love sports. You love baseball or something like that, okay? You got, you have the guy standing up on the mound. He goes and he throws the baseball. He throws it across the plate and then the batter swings at it. Whether he hits it, whether he doesn't, it's irrelevant. But because of the fact that he goes and throws that ball, the batter's going to do one of two things. He's either going to move away from the pitch because it's outside of the strike zone. He might lean into it so he can get hit. Or he might, uh, you know, swing at it. And either way, there is an action that happens from this guy throwing the baseball. So he throws the baseball and... You know, the, the idea within Messianic Judaism and within Christianity is, hey, this guy swung the baseball. Why the heck did he swing the, or, or is he swung the bat? Why, why did he swing the bat? Well, you threw the baseball at him. <laughs> we got to understand that there's a root, that there is a reason for the things that happen here. One of the things that we have to realize, first of all, is that any sort of affliction comes from that of Hashem. Not some, not most. Everything comes from Hashem. And our success within those afflictions are based upon tachun, whether it is that we receive the soul correction that Hashem wishes to give us or whether it is that we don't. Some would say to themselves, well, if a person is afflicted with something, then they have transgressed the written Torah. Now, first of all, we have to get the written Torah, and even Torah She'ebi'al Pei, and the Chaim HaTorah, the living Torah, Yeshua, our Melech Mashiach, and we have to put it into its proper context as well. A person goes and say that there was a mitzvah to go and draw a T on the chalkboard. Okay? This, this is a big for instance. Now let me ask you something. You have, if you have a child, and you tell him to go and write his name on the chalkboard, okay? You tell him to go, and he get, and he does this. And he, but he writes his name. Is he gonna get credit for doing it? But now what about the other child? Say you have till two children. You tell them to go write their name. And the other one goes. And they write their name. Let me ask you, which one of those is going to get credit for doing what it is that you told them to do? Would it be the first one? Oh, God forbid. You're going to say, you know, why Why were you acting that way? It doesn't matter that he wrote his name. It doesn't matter that he did what it is that you told him to do. It's in the spirit in which he did it. This is the this is a great deal of fulfillment of Torah. Okay, so many people will go and say to themselves, okay, well, you broke the Shabbos. So therefore, the reason why it is that you are sick today is because of the fact that you broke the Shabbos. But let's say that a person had done all the mitzvahs that they're supposed to do. They, they fulfilled everything that they were supposed, supposed to do that, that, that day. But yet, 
Yet, they end up getting sick. Hey, I can't be blamed for this, right? I can't be blamed because of the fact that I got sick because I did everything that God had commanded me to do this day. I kept the Shabbos. I ate every single meal kosher, even to the hilt of rabbinical, of, uh, of, of rabbinical carbonate. I did it. I celebrated Rosh Kodesh. I did everything that I was supposed to do. There's another layer of the Torah that we have to look at. Did you do it in Shminka? Or in, I'm sorry, in, uh, in, 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 in Simcha? Did you do it in joy? Did you do it humbly in Anava? Did you do it in Ahavat? Did you do it in love? Did you do it in these things? Well, that shouldn't really matter. It does matter. It does matter. Because of the fact that this is where Torah observance starts from. Yeshua goes and makes notes, you know, that first, first of all, the, the Ten Commandments say, do not commit adultery. It says, don't do it. Yeshua says that if you look at a woman in lust, then let me tell you something. You've already committed adultery with her. This is where fulfillment and defilement of mitzvahs starts. Fulfillment and defilement of shochim. Defilement and fulfillment of mishpachim. This is where it starts. Within the person, not what it is that their hands necessarily do. Of course, if those things are within them, the Torah is within their inward parts and their heart is circumcised, and then guess what? You are going to go and do it for the sake of Hashem. You're going to do it for the love of Hashem. You're not going to do it out of your own haughtiness. You're not going to do it out of your own ego, but rather, you are going to do it for Hashem. But, if you do it for yourself, then you have not fulfilled the mitzvahs. In fact, Hashem counts that as sin. Because you didn't do it for the right reasons. We see Torah as a checklist. Okay, okay, let's see here. I uh, wore to fill in today. I uh, kept Shabbos. Okay. I did my prayers out of this door. I had the turkey sandwich instead of the uh, of the uh, ham sandwich. And, uh, you know, that's not the way to, that's not the way that you fulfill Torah. It's not. I know many people teach, teach differently because they still have that Greek mindset, but I'm sorry, it's not the way that you fulfill Torah. It's not. It starts within a person. Thus, the reason why it is that the Negesh wrote the affliction Starts within a person because it makes note, as the sages say, in terms of, uh, of, uh, the person's, uh, of failure to show compassion towards another, their failure to show love towards one another, their failure to lift up their brother, and for them to have this anger within them, this haughtiness, this, this I am so much better than you, type of idea 
no matter where it is that they stand, no matter at what level of observance they're at, whether it is their Ger Tosav, whether it is that they're Ivri, whether it is that they're Ger Hasadic, whether it is their Fulan Yehudi or even Bali Hatara. Doesn't matter. What does matter is in the spirit in which they do all of these things. It doesn't matter how much they do, it's how it is that they go about doing it. So therefore, you know, if a person has anger within themselves towards another person, then what's going to happen is they are going to speak Lashon Hara. Because the Yetzahara, the Amalach, has taken over them. In the book of Shemos, we are introduced to Amalach. And Amalach, as as it is made note of several times, is representative of the Yetzahara. You know, um, and so... That's the thing that we have to conquer daily, is the Yetzirah, because the Yetzirah, its job is to kill you from within. For even our Melech Mashiach Yeshua said, don't worry about the things that harm your body, worry about the things that harm your soul, because if you truly love your life, then you will definitely lose it. It's not about the outward that we have to be worried about, it's about the things that are inward that it is that we have to worry about. And so... We see that this inner affliction of the person manifests itself. This is something that we also see in the book of Mishlei. We see this in Proverbs. Because in Mishlei, it says that your words can bring life and they can bring death. Now, I don't remember necessarily if in the Targums the word is Mamri or Miltha, but they are the same word. Mamri and Miltha means words manifestation, instance, substance, incantation. This is what it is that the words miltha and mamri, this is what it is that they mean. When the In the New Testament, when it speaks about Yeshua, in the book of Yohanan, John chapter 1, verse 1, Bereyeshi zatohi hoa miltha. In the beginning was the miltha. And throughout the Targums, we see that Hashem at several places where he manifests himself in the physical, we see that he's referred to as Mamri in the Targums. Okay, so this is the very same idea. But we see that our words are suspended somewhere in the cosmos, as the sages say. Because when they are suspended in the cosmos, the more anger that a person speaks out of their mouth, the more haughtiness they speak out of their mouth, the more things against their brother, they speak out of their mouth, they manifest from within them. we got to get to the root of it. It starts within. The more that this happens, the more horror, the more evil manifestations are suspended, and they manifest within that of creation. Things like cancer, things like diabetes, things like, you know... um you know, all of these different afflictions and plagues and all this other stuff, we have to ask ourselves, where is it that it starts from? It's very metaphysical. There was a great uh, um, study that was done by this scientist over in China, and, and this is an amazing study. He had three things of rice, three bowls of rice. And what he did is he had um, he had them separated and closed off. And they were there for, you know, a couple of weeks. And what he ended up doing is in one, he had a little speaker that went to it with all of these good and edifying things being spoken 
into that of the uh, bowl of rice. You know, and he was able to see in it and see, you know, what was happening with it and so on. And after three weeks, he pulled the saran wrap off the top and the rice had this sweet aroma. After three weeks, after sitting there on the table, it should have gone bad. I mean, it should have gone bad really quickly, but after three weeks, sitting there on the table, it had this sweet aroma to it. And then the other one, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to it. And it got discolored, started to smell, and all that stuff after three weeks and so on. And then the other one, he put a little speaker to it where he was cursing at this bowl of rice calling it every single name in the book, and then just after three days, as opposed to three weeks, in three days, the rice had turned black. So we have to understand that what the that, that, that what it is that the uh, Torah, the Ketuvim, the Nevi'im, and the Brit say are absolutely true. That our words can bring about life, and they can bring about death. And it all starts within that of the yetzer, the inclination of a person, and a person's pesoniyot, their inner person, their inner being, is where this all starts. And so, we have this individual here that is mentioned throughout that of the of the uh, uh, Parshas uh, uh, Tazriah. And throughout Parsha's Tazria, we see, okay, uh, you know, the Kohanim will go and check him to see if he, you know, he can come back into the camp. It's, at certain times he's taken out of the camp for three days, seven days, fourteen days, so on and so forth, depending upon, you know, uh, all of these things. And as we made note of, when the sages say that divine retribution of the offender's failure to feel the needs and to share the hurt of others, God isolates him from society. Why? Because he needs to realize how it is that he's treated other people. You go and you look, you know, and the thing about it though is God will start to manifest these boils, these, these things on their body, these, uh, all, all of these different things. And the thing about it though is that, you know, even when you look at what leprosy is, and you look at these things, you say to yourself, that's not leprosy. That, you know, and any doctor would say that that's, that's, that's not leprosy. It's just bad translation. But, we, you you have a child that is you know being a, basically a little bit of a jerk, okay? Any of you with children, you, you you know that you know at times you know that this is what happens. What do you do? You put them in time out. You go and you sit them in the corner. You say, okay, you're going to spend five minutes over there. You're going to think about what it is that you did. Or guess what? Uh, no TV for you. Your favorite little video game thing. No, no more of that for you this week. You know, there's a certain thing that you isolate him from the thing that it is that he wants. That causes him to think about what it is that he's done. Causes him to think about his actions. Here, what Hashem is saying throughout this Parshas is saying, put him in time out. Put the offender in time out. A person who is you know, basically uh, uh, causing the strife within the camp, the strife within others, well, I'll give you a sign, I'll give you a wonder to show that this person um, needs to be separated. He needs to think about what it is that he did. 
But I mentioned earlier how it is that this ties to that of the laws of Nida. You say to yourself, okay, well, it's not the woman's fault. So, you know, how does this tie to Nida? You know, she gets <coughs> pregnant with her husband. She fulfills a, a, a positive mitzvah here. But yet, you say, Rabbi, that this, uh, that this attests to the laws of Zorot. How so? Because of the fact that there is a renewal that takes place when the person is outside the camp and they come back in. There's a renewal to that person. Just as there is a renewal to that of the mother, to the woman, when it is that she has a baby, after it is that she has her, her, uh, uh, her time of the month where it is that she menstruates. There is a renewal. She, you know, is allowed to be back with that of her husband. And this is a premise as well that is found within the book of Yohanan, chapter 3. And uh, let me see here exactly where this starts here. Uh, okay, here it is. Uh, verse 5. And Yeshua said to him, Amen, Amen, I say to you that if a man is not born from water and from spirit, he will not enter into the Elom Haba, the kingdom of Elohim. The, thi- uh, the, th- the thing which is born of flesh is flesh. The thing of which is born is of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I have said to you, that it is necessary that you be born from the beginning. The wind will blow where it desires and hear its voice, but you will know from where it comes or it goes. Likewise, everyone who is reborn from spirit and Nicodemus answered, how is it possible for this to be? You know, and so on and so forth. You know the rest of the story. There's this renewal. Renewal is not just on Yom Kippur. Renewal is not just every single week when we start out the Shabbos. Every day should be a renewal to us. And there are several little markers within our life. When it is that Hashem wishes to afflict us, and when he afflicts us, it means that we're in his favor. How does that make sense? I know it says that all throughout the New Testament, that Paul rejoiced in that of his affliction. But why? Uh, still, I, I just don't get it. The sages make note of this. If a person has gone 40 days and 40 nights without trial or tribulation, they say that he's lost his place in the world to come. Why is that? Because of the fact that it also within the book of Mishlei, it says that Hashem afflicts those that he loves to bring them to Teshuvah. So therefore, if you're a lost cause, then the fact is, Hashem is not going to give you the tachon. He's not going to, he's not going to waste his time. But he does this for our own good. He does this so that we can adjust ourselves. So we can adjust and receive that tachon, that, that, that soul correction that it is that Hashem wishes to give us. Okay, so this is why it is that a person who is afflicted with Zorot, though he did a bad thing, it's, and it's probably one of the most grievous of sins, is Lashon Hara, because it stems from a manifestation of the Yetzahara, the inner Satan. Though 
Hashem wishes to correct him and to give him the opportunity to come back into the camp. As we could see from this Parshas, for some, they're outside a little bit longer than others. Sometimes we can be a little bit uh, hard-headed. I think I, 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 I think that uh, can easily be seen. That you know, you see the one guy that goes, you know, he's outside the camp for seven days, and then he comes back, and they say, "Oh, oh nope, nope, you're still not good yet. Go and take several more days." I'm sure you can relate this uh, for many of you parents who have uh, seen this, uh, you know, had to deal with this within your children. But let us move on now to Parshas Metzora, which is a very much a continuation of uh, of, Par- of Parshas Tazria. But actually, before it is that we get into Metzora, there's some passages that seem... Why is it, starting at verse 47 of chapter 13 of Vicar Leviticus, it talks about Zorot the uh, afflicting a garment. And there's this process that is given here in terms of the garment. And uh, it says in verse 56, But if the Chohen shall look, and behold, the affliction grew dimmer as it was washed, he shall rip it from the garment, or from the leather, or from the wrap, or from the wolf. It appears again, the garment, and the wrap, or the wolf, or any other leather utensils, it is an eruption, and you shall burn it in fire, which contains the affliction. If the garment, or the wrap, of the wool, or any other utensils have been washed, then the affliction left, it shall be immersed again, and it shall become pure. Okay, now there is something within rabbinical tradition that deals with, you know, this being with clay pots, this being with uh, a clothes, this being with, you know, basically anything you could you find in your house, except for glass. Why not glass? Many of you probably at some point have had a, 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 a cast iron skillet. And the idea behind the cast iron skillet is you don't go and you don't wash it with soap. Why? Because all of your stuff will end up tasting like soap after you go and do that. I remember one time I ended up having a French press and I ended up uh, deciding I'd be smart. <laughs> and I ended up putting um, loose tea leaves in there and said to myself, well, maybe I can make myself a hot tea. You know, in my French press, I could never get the, the, the taste of jasmine tea out of that French press. The same is true with a person's garment. That anything that is that you touch, there is a transference. This is why it is that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go and say, those of you who want to go and build this for the Mishkan, and those of you who build that or this or what have you, in uh, a previous parshiot, he said, those of you who want to go and do it, do it. He didn't say so many from this tribe, so many from that one, and so on and so forth. It's because of the fact that there is a spiritual attachment to everything that it is that we touch. Everything that it is that we come in contact with. And this is a part of Kashrot law, which it is that we spoke about last week in Parsha Shemini. Because I made note to, to you guys that I have separate um, pots and pans for things that have dairy 
and separate ones for ones that have meat that I use for meats. And the same is true with plates. But however, my glasses, it doesn't matter if I put soda in it or if I go and I put milk in it. It, it, it doesn't matter because of the fact that it's made from glass. But there is, you know, if I cook, um, like a hamburger in one skillet and then I decide to make an Alfredo in the same skillet, there are going to be remnants, uh, you know, no matter what it is that I do to that thing, if I scrub that thing with a Brillo pad, there is still going to be remnants within that pot of that, of, or that skillet from the meat from before. Okay? So therefore, you know, we're not to mix meat and dairy. So therefore, I have separate things for that. But however, my glasses, you know, uh, that I put my drinks in, totally different scenario. Okay? So this is the reason why, uh, there is an affliction of the garments. It's because of the fact that the, the things within it, the things that are a part of you are interwoven within it. This is also why it is. I did a teaching a couple of weeks ago about Zitziot. Why it is that things are, uh, why it's supposed to be a talit katana, not something from your belt loops. Okay? The whole belt loop thing is something that's become very popular in the Hebrew roots nowadays. But it's not the way that it's to be done. Why? Because these are spo- because the commandments of Hashem are supposed to become a part of you. This is why the talit katan is a part of your garment that is underneath your shirt, so that the commandments of Hashem become a part of you that it's touching your skin, and so therefore you guard yourself. Because of the transference from what is within your yetzer to that of your talit, uh, to your talit katan, to that of your zitziot. Okay? And so therefore, if it's just on the outside, then it is not going to become a part of you. It's not going to be touching your body. All that you're saying is that my observance is only outward. When you wear belt loop, Zizio. This is why it is you will never see a Jew wear, you know, um, Zizio from their belt loops. But now we get into the process in Mitzorah of the purification. And Rabbi Hirsch says this in terms of verses 1 through 32. He says, being alone outside the camp lets the Mitzorah reflect on his spiritual deficiencies, causing him to repent. Then God removes the mark of denigration so that he can process in returning to that of the people. And then we see that there are offerings for certain afflictions that are a part of a person. The first comes in uh, chapter 14, verse 5 of Vayikra Leviticus. It says that the Kohen shall command that one bird shall be slaughtered with the earthenware vessel over spring water. As for the live bird, he shall take it to the cedar wood and the crimson thread and the hyssop, and he shall dip the live bird into the blood and the blood slaughtered over the spring water. Then he shall sprinkle seven times that the person 
being purified of the Zorot. He shall purify him. He shall set the live bird free upon the open field. The person being purified shall immerse his clothing, shave off all of his hair, and immerse himself in the water and become pure. Therefore, he, or thereafter, he may enter the camp, but he shall dwell outside the tent for seven days. This is for arrogance. This is to bring him to humility that this has happened. The reason why it is that his head is shaven is because of the fact of that arrogance has been attached to him. And the arrogance comes from that of the moach, the mind. And therefore, it becomes a part of the follicles that come out of his body. You know, the, and this is actually something that's even taught within, uh, the, uh, the Rasta faith, as a matter of fact. You know, I do not endorse the Rasta faith, but they do understand this. That whenever it is a person goes and is having a renewal in their life, and this is also something that we see in terms of the, uh, of the, uh, um, of the vows and all that stuff, a person's head is then shaved because it's shedding away that previous stuff. It's shaving away all the things from the past. It's symbolizing a new start. And it says that on the seventh day he shall shave off all of his hair, his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and his hair he shall shave. He shall immerse his clothing and immerse his flesh in the water and become pure. This is the very idea that we see within that of the book of Yohanan, chapter 1, where it speaks of Yohanan the Immerser, going and immersing the people so that they may be able to live for Hashem through that of the immersion so that they may, um, you know, become pure in the eyes of Hashem and to get rid of the arrogance, to get rid of the things that keep them from that of Hashem. And then it goes in to the final stage of the purification offering. It says, On the eighth day he shall take two unblemished male lambs, an unblemished ewe in the first year, and three-tenths of fa, the fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. L'chohen who purifies and shall uh, place the person, being purified along with them before Hashem at the entrance of the tent of meaning, the Kohen shall Take one lamb and shall bring it as a guilt offering, and one log shall he wave for the wave service before that of Hashem. And then there is an offering of the poor, Mitzorah. If he is poor, then that means that he is not sufficient, that he shall take one male lamb as a guilt offering, as we see in verse 21, uh, for a wave service to provide atonement for him. And one tenth fa and for fine flour. And, and the entire idea is that we see that there is so much of a difference between that of the offerings, but it all comes down to teshuvah. It, that's what it all comes down to is a changing of oneself and of teshuvah. And we see this very premise that we spoke about before in verse 33 going all the way to verse, uh, 30, uh, or 57 in terms of Zorot being a part of your Ba'is. I'm sure that at some point you've gone into one place and you say to yourself, something's just not right here. I don't know what it is. I just don't feel good. The place might be really bright with a lot of light. It might be very colorful in there. It might 
appear to be very happy, a very happy place. But then when you go in there and you say, something just doesn't feel right here. This is Zorot within that of that place. And so something, there might have been an arrogant person there, something may have happened there, something, uh, you know, it's not like a haunting, you know, like, you know, you see, you know, ghost hunters or something like that, nothing like that. Um, but however, there's an influence. I remember speaking with a friend of mine uh, several, several, several months ago, and he was telling me that there was just this one point in his hallway that uh, he just he just kept saying, "I just it just feels I don't want to be there." At that point in the hallway, and I asked him, I said, "Did you and your wife ever get into a fight in that hallway?" He goes, "Yes." And I said, "Well, there is an attachment there in that part of your hallway." You know, uh, the whole premise of a person, the entire yetzer, the you know, has to be purified so that they may have shalom ba'is, so they may have uh, peace in the home. Because the things that are within you will come out from you, and they will attach itself to everything that is associated with that of your home. And then as we continue on in the Parshas, chapter 15 and verse 19, we see again, we go back to Nidah. And we see how these things come full circle, how the two are connected. It says that when a woman has a discharge, her discharge from her f- flesh being blood, she shall be in the state of separation for a seven-day period. And anyone who touches her shall remain contaminated until the evening. Anything upon which she may recline during the state of separation shall be contaminated, and anything upon which she sits, uh, which she sits, shall become contaminated. Anyone who touches her bleeding shall immerse his garment and immerse herself or himself in the water, and he remains contaminated until evening. Anyone who touches any utensils of which um, she will sit shall immerse his garments and immerse herself himself in water remains contaminated until evening or if by uh, someone is upon the bedside of the utensils which she is sitting if he touches it he shall become contaminated until evening if a man lies with her and the state of separation will be upon him he shall be contaminated for a seven-day period and this is what basically uh, ends this partius is the very place where it is that we started in Tazria which is the laws of Nita. Now, before we wrap up here, Rav Shavuot helps us to fight against the Yetzirah, to be able to put our mind into check. So often I see, you know, people who are young in their walk, they end up uh, going and... Um, Attacking their former religious institution. We have to ask ourselves. Of what place it is that we're doing this. We got to be honest with ourselves, Because if we're doing it out of anger. Which is 99.99% of the time where it comes from. We can be as honest as you know. We can, we can try and twist it in any way that we want to. And say to ourselves. <coughs> I'm warning the people. Of this, and it's like, okay, okay. Teach them the right way. Teach them the right way. 
in the Amer- in the Aramaic here, there's this amazing poetry that we find in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. It says, "Makial, ache alian, di sherian, ve alian, di nachpan, ve alian, di chanan." Ve alian di chayan. Ve alian di chariman. Ve alian de shechrian. Ve alian edvan, or, uh, evda. Di shocha videl koleshcha. Alen althero. And you guys know the verse. Finally, my brothers, the things that are true and the things that are honest and the things that are just and the things that are pure and the things that are beautiful and the things that are honorable in reporting and the deeds of praise and virtuousness on these thoughts, should you focus? We see that Rav Shaul is building a fence around the Torah, which is one of the things that helps us to encapsulate ourselves within fulfillment of Torah. By saying to adjust our mindset, to guard ourselves from that, of the Negesarot, to guard ourselves from the things that will cause us to be afflicted with that of Sarot. I pray and I hope that this teaching on these uh, Parshiot this week has been a blessing to each and every single one of you. And I wish each and every single one of you Shalom Hovrakov, peace and a blessing. Shalom, Shalom.